Well, welcome back to So You Want to Be in Ministry. I'm Tim. We are all about getting you to the finish line that God put in front of you. We do that through educating you. If you're thinking about jumping into ministry, we do that through equipping you. If you're already in and just trying to give you that extra tool to, to add to your arsenal, and then we try to encourage you because we all go through tough seasons in ministry. And today's episode, I know it's just a carryover from our last episode with Tim, but today's episode should bring encouragement. Like when you hear some of the things that he's had to navigate within his ministry, within his life, within his family life, personal life, growing up, all kinds of things, I think it's going to be an encouragement that God is just there with us through it all. And I think it's going to be an encouragement to you. I've already introduced him in the last episode, one of my best friends in ministry. Uh, so let's just jump in and get to it. So let's shift a little bit. Um, something that you haven't talked about is your pers- the personal side, your family side. You've got some uh, unique circumstances there with special needs. Uh, as much as you're willing to talk about and share, uh, could you give us a little bit about that dynamic of your family life? Yeah, so uh, I've got two girls. Um, I'm a dad to girls. I don't understand raising boys. That's just not uh, hasn't been what God's trusted me with, but he's trusted me with being a dad to girls. And so one is learning to drive right now. <laughs> so I just saw that on, so I forgot about that, but I just saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So we are, uh, in fact, she's doing well with it. Uh, last night she moved the cars out of the street into the, um, you know, into the driveway. And it was one of those moments of like, I'm here coaching you, but I'm going to let you do that kind of on your own. Now, if you're a member of the law, don't hold that against me, but, um, (laughs) but it's one of those dad moments where you just kind of go, I feel comfortable with that. You know, we've been on the interstate and all those sort of things and she's doing great with it, but it has been very kind of like, Oh, this is, we're in a new season of life here. My youngest is uh, coming out of fifth grade. She's eagerly wanting to jump into middle school. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's been awesome. But my kids uh, both have cystic fibrosis. And so, uh, which May is actually the uh, celebration or not celebration, but the awareness month. Uh, um, cool. I, uh, I, so that's kind of, that was not thing. planned. Yeah. I'm yeah, glad not it worked planned. out. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease. Uh, and in that it affects both the lungs and the digestive system. Um, and so at the cellular level, they have a chloride channel that's, it's broken and you wouldn't believe how much, uh, water and chloride regulation in your cells affects your whole body. Um, it ultimately, uh, the lungs become hard and fibrotic over time because of fighting all of the, uh, infections that are there. And so, um, now with uh, that being said, uh, my girls are in a period right now where they're incredibly healthy for having CF, which is something we we praise God about. You know, we're we're celebrating. I think Ella's five or six years without a hospitalization, okay. and Charlotte's right behind her with three or four years, I think. So, okay. um, and so we every year that we haven't been in the hospital, we celebrate. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those unique things, and that seems like well, that's weird. No, because I think when our friendship was first starting. Uh, my girls were in the hospital a lot. Yes. Um, and so, and again, that's a part of it because they go in for what they call a tune-up, get IV antibiotics, uh, kills the nasty germs that are living in their lungs. 
um, they get better, they bounce back. And, you know, from the outside, you wouldn't know that there's anything wrong. But with the inside, uh, there's a lot going on there. And so uh, we've learned how to live with that chronic illness. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my girls. Um, they have hobbies and interests just like any other kids. But there's this other part going on that is uh, has an impact on their life. How has that uh, maybe repositioned or given you a different lens to look through as a as a parent and as a pastor? Hmm. Well, so one of the things that as a, as a, I'd say first as a husband is that, uh, I need to focus on my wife. Um, I do, I have some really good seasons and I have some really bad seasons. Um, so if I'm just being honest, there are times when I just fail, you know, I fail being a, a, a great husband. Um, some because I'm focusing too much on ministry or I'm focusing too much on myself. I'm focusing, you know, but what I found is that my wife is the everyday health caregiver. She's also, uh, we homeschool, um, and that is a part of helping protect their health. And so she's their teacher. Um, she's their principal. I kind of the superintendent, I make sure that we're educating, but other than that, I don't really have much to do with it, you know? So, um, but I need to check in with her and see how she's doing. You know, I forgot what the divorce rate is for, for people with, with special needs. Um, but it's high. Yeah, it's, it is, high. it's, it's super high. And I don't want to be one of those stats. Um, and, and part of it is because of what I believe about marriage, that it is such a special gift from the Lord and that this is my ministry partner and that these kids were actually gifted to me from the Lord. He, and so because of that, we are going to walk through this together. This is our new normal. I don't get a, I don't get a do over. This is what I, I get to do. Okay. Well, I don't have the roadmap that you have for your life or for some of our other friends, right? We don't have those roadmaps. I have Tim Drury's roadmap, right? So this is what it is. These two, these two kids. Um, and so watching and taking care of her and seeing what's going on there, but from a past in, this is I think that I would hope this would be true. And this is one of the things we, we try to tell our kids too. We would have, certain spiritual expectations, regardless if I were in some other profession, whether I was a carpenter or a pipe fitter or a mailman, like we would have these expectations because we're Jesus followers. Right. But because of their health, it has made it very crystal clear to, to get them to Jesus as quickly as possible. Because I'm not guaranteed what day life ends. I've had to wrestle with that. That is a painful place to be. Every time they got sick and would go into the hospital, oh, I'm going to lose them. And I, and finally, I think it was my wife that just shook me one day by the shoulders. Goes, it's not going to happen today. Calm down, you know. But, but it was that is that reality that their life could end. And so you just fervently praying, you're fervently sharing the gospel with your kids. When are they going to come to Christ? Because because you became painfully aware that this is here. Now, here's the other reality that's laying under that, Tim, that I had, you know, many years later that I figured out. We're not sure of what day our lives end or our kids' lives end anyways. It's true. We could have a perfectly healthy kid by the world's standards, 
and they get hit by a car, you know, school bus accident. There's all kinds of things, right? And so the intentionality for the gospel in our families should happen regardless if we have a terminally ill kid, a special needs kid, or a kid that just seems normal, right? And that was one of the things that I was a painful lesson to walk through. But it's one of the things that as a pastor, it was because of the training and helping other people come to Jesus, it was like, oh, boy, I've got to do that. I can say that God has been very uh, gracious in saving both of my girls, and they're both uh, followers of Jesus. I've been able to baptize both of them. It's been a, that's been a wonderful joy. Um, if you are new in ministry and haven't baptized your kids yet or don't have kids yet, that is just one of the... It's going to be in your top five memories, if not up there, um, when you get to baptize your kids. Um, there's just a huge joy as a daddy um, to do that. So, I got to baptize uh, my oldest the week before she got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So Wow. Yeah. And, you know, Tim, we were talking about that. I remember the week she was diagnosed. <laughs> um, and... Um, I know from my end as a friend, because that's what we're talking about today is friendship, really. Yeah. I couldn't get to the hospital fast enough. Yeah. I, 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 when you called me, I was, I was heartbroken because I remember being a parent and that, and the just life shattering news that that was when you have this new diagnosis and I couldn't get there and not making it about me, but the, the heart affection I have for you, brother, yeah. like, I couldn't get to the hospital fast enough. And what I found was a strong Tim and Rachel. I found like, and I brought my intern with me. I remember. Yeah. I remember and, that. And you're totally like talking to him about Job and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, his mind's just like exploding. <laughs> but my, but I remember too being there and, and my heart quieted down because I saw my friend was okay. And then we began processing together over the phones. It wasn't yeah. urgent. It wasn't as urgent for me. And what I, me being there solved all the world's problems. Probably not. It was probably me being, you know, feeling better about like, Oh, okay. Tim's okay. I could see it for myself, but I think it's one of the other things that really cemented our relationship. Yeah. You know, and Oh, this is a guy who's going to drop everything, you know, because you've done the same for me. You've come and visited me. You know, you've uh, had um, conversations with me that, you know, we're probably not convenient for you, but you picked up my, my phone call, you know? And so, uh, that's the thing there. Um, circling yeah. back around to, it was just about the girls, you know, it's finding that balance in ministry between family and, and work sometimes is difficult. Mm -hmm. And so, but the thing that's been great about the church is they've allowed my family to thrive. They have taken care of us. Um, they have given us, um, so, for instance, when the girls, when we're talking about those hospitalizations, my youngest, just to give you a kind of a glimpse into that world, I believe it was five or six times her first year of life she was hospitalized. Um, so, um, and and finally, the, the last, probably the last one of that year was um, ultimately what I would call an open heart surgery. That's not really the correct term, but it's called, she had an aorta pexy, uh, where they actually, I don't know, this amazes me that our medicine does this, they um, she had a artery coming off the the heart that was laying on her trachea, collapsing it. So 
CF kids, they they cough up sputum to get it out so it doesn't infect their lungs. It's just naturally what they do. Just like when you have a sinus infection, you're coughing junk out, but they're doing that every single day, you know, clearing their lungs. Well, she's a baby. Uh, she sounded like a little goose um, because it, she had a restricted airway. Actually, when they did her CT scan, they found, or it was a scope maybe, um, found that two-thirds of her trachea was collapsed. Um, and so, but, it, but because of the collapse, collapsation, it made a little shelf and the, the you know, back to shoes, cough stuff out and then it sit on that shelf and reinfect. And, and it kept doing that. And so they said, this isn't normal. Like she has a soft trachea, but why? Well, there was an artery blocking that and, and collapsing that. So they went in and they uh, cut her chest and they lassoed that artery to her breastbone so that as she grew, it would pull that away from the heart. And, uh, but man, talk about turning your baby over, you know, for a major surgery. Um, just a, a tough time. And, and, uh, at that time, you know what, my two, my, my lead pastor and one of the other associate pastors on my staff, they were there with me that day. They prayed over us. Um, they were with us and it was like, wow, um, this is a team, you know, these are, these are the guys you work with, but they're your pastors too. And they're there in this scary moment when I have to hand the baby over. Um, she's 11 months old and I'm going here, take her. Um, don't know if I get her back. Now that's also fear talking, but mm -hmm. in those moments, fear talks really loud, really loud. Um, and you have to quiet fear down, you know, and uh, you quiet it down by God's word. You know, and one of the things I, I've learned in this journey is that have some, have some scriptures that you can go back to and hold on to and not just cl cliche ones that you find in Hobby Lobby on stuff. Um, but sorry, Hobby Lobby, <laughs> but, but scriptures that are deep, meaningful. I remember, you know, I was listening to uh, your friend that you interviewed when he lost his wife and, you know, sharing that. And it was like, Oh man, I really identified with this story. Um, Psalm 37 has been one of those Psalms for me about not fretting, but trusting God. And, oh my gosh, there's so many things that I could fret and fret and fret about, but I don't know, you know, fears that I have about their future when they're not in my care any longer. Wait a minute. God's in control. I can trust God because he's, he's been faithful my whole life. And just outside of my experience, guess what? He was faithful generations before I was even born. <laughs> he's going to be faithful generations after I'm just dirt, you know, like it, God doesn't change. And I can trust him. And so that, that Psalm 37, that really the first uh, like six verses, mm -hmm. but that whole chapter has just been a, a quiet comfort to my heart. So, yeah, one for me is first uh, John four eighteen. Per perfect love casts out fear. Uh, and so you brought up fear. I instantly mentally went there because one thing that I, I often do is I, I, if somebody's trying to make a decision, I can tell it they're just scared. I'm just yeah. like, Perfect love cast out fear. So until you can get to a place where you understand God's love in this moment, don't make a decision because you're making it out of fear. That's not from God. That's from something else. And so uh, get to a place where you can make a decision based off who God is, not the fear that you have. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Know who he is. And it comes from spending time and, and him revealing himself through his word. He's still speaking to us. Yeah. We just have to, we have to listen. We have to shut up long enough to listen. Yep. Um, 
and fears like, wow. loud so you have to be intentional to listen yes yeah yep and and what i've learned too is what we've learned in the good times is just as true in the tough times of life mm. you know i i mean there may be a, a cuter way of saying that but i thought that was is, pretty good <laughs> it, but but it's but it's it's so true that I have to tell my, my screaming, raging, fearful heart, wait a minute, God didn't get dethroned because of this situation in life. You know, we're, we're talking about uh, how the church is provided and things. You know, one of the be- greatest blessings is I have health insurance. Yeah. You know, and I'm not trying to be political, but just until a couple years ago, my kids were uninsurable. And the, and the only way that they were insurable is by a group plan. Yeah. And, and because of that, you know what, one of the greatest benefits that I have at my church financially you speaking is, is that I have health insurance for my family and we use the mess out of it. As do we. I mean, it's, I mean, if, if you want to go crazy start adding up medical costs yeah. if you didn't have insurance i would be bankrupt yeah. I, I i couldn't afford to care for my girl's health yeah. but you know what god's provided for me uh through through the church these various things so that i can do the work of the ministry and equipping the saints to go out yeah, I'm sorry, Tim. What were you gonna yeah, say? No, I was just gonna bring up like one thing that because you brought up your church a couple of times. I, I, we're not the only two that are gonna have special needs Dude. situations in our families. We're not currently. We won't be in the future. There's, there's men and women listening to this that don't even know they're gonna have a special needs situation in their family as time goes on. What do you think are just a couple of things that are critical? that have to be critical about a church. If you're going to go there and pastor there, if you have special needs circumstances. Ooh. What are key things about a church? Mm-hmm. Um, one, your family is provided for. Okay. And I know that's always a concern for as a, as a pastor, like, Hey, are we going to have enough to make, meet the bills? Right. Because of where, in my particular circumstances, not might be all, you know, special needs, right? Um, but my wife doesn't work outside the home. Um, so I've got to make sure, one, financially, that the income that I make will pay all of our bills. Um, I don't have to be driving fancy cars, you know, but I've got to be able to at least have a car that's dependable. Um, and with and- that, I, I just want to make sure whether you chose to do that like from the outside of your mar- outset of your marriage or not that almost needs to be true for your family because of the special needs circumstance so i just want to make sure we catch that in this moment yeah yeah it's it and, and one of the other things is what we saw was the insurance you know the um not only do i have enough to pay the bills but there's there's insurance there um not every church is the case there and so, but, but if, but if payment, uh, and I hate even talking about ministry this way, but this is the reality, right? Of, uh, it is a job in some ways, but, um, 
that compensation for what you're doing, let's, that's a better way of saying it that way, right? Yeah. Um, it's not goods rendered, right? But the compensation for what you do, um, has enough that you could purchase insurance, right? Mm-hmm. So if it if that's okay, then go that route. But if it's but if it is a benefit that's there, recognize that, and and you have to also be know what that's worth what is the fair market of that right because that helps you know oh goodness um you know if you're paying that whole premium yourself you know so go to an insurance broker find out do your homework um there's there's going to be folks and ways to to look at that the the other thing from a standpoint is um these are other benefits right what so asking if um, putting some hypotheticals out there in a, in a situation or not in a situation, but in a, uh, interview process, right. Okay. That if, if my, my kids need hospital treatment, how do I handle that? What is your expectation of me? Um, does, does your expectation. So like of it, me- yeah, oh, go ahead. Cause that, that's what I was going to ask is like, we don't know this is going to happen. It just happens. We're in the hospital for the next three days. Like, are you expecting me to come back in and work the next day or like what's correct? Yeah. 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 So are you expecting me to come back in or you expect me to take my laptop with me? We live in a really mobile world. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically when that happens, my wife does the day shift. I do the evening shift. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and not because I don't do work, but it's like, I, uh, we are passing ships. Mm-hmm. And so she'll come in for rounds in the morning. I'll stay till about nine thirty, tennis, drive home, get a shower, go into the office. Um, what is I have to, you know, I'll catch up with everybody. Here's the latest, and then just keep my head down and take care of the essentials that I have to. Check out, you know. So I've I've worked four to five hours maybe and go back, pack my bag for the next morning and head back to the hospital and um, whatever, whatever I have to do there. Um, So those are things that you you've, that's a routine that we've developed for taking care of our kids in the hospital, but your church has to know that coming into, if you're actually coming into a ministry position, they have to know this could be a, if that's a deal breaker, then one, you don't need to go there. And secondly, they don't need you as their pastor. So you're bringing out that there's some grace there. There's obviously yeah. professionalism. Like we're not excusing that. No. So on the grace side, though, in the interview process, because grace can cover a multitude. I'm not going to say of sins, but of situations. <laughs> like it yeah. can it can cover a lot of situations because as a pastor, there's just situations sometimes. It's not necessarily sin. It's just oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. Sure. So uh, how do you how do you pinpoint and figure out if a church has an atmosphere of grace as you're trying to come through the doors? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, One of the things is maybe asking or looking for it. And as you're talking to people and Mm -hmm. saying like, Hey, how have you seen this church take care of people in the community? Okay. You know, so that'd be a, maybe a, a starting place. Tell me about how this church is cared for you in a hard season of life. Okay. Um, oh, well, that that tells a lot. One of the things I knew about the particular church I'm at right now goes all the way back to my childhood. Mm. 
when I lost my dad to cancer, uh, and when I was 12 years old, this church brought meals every single night he was on hospice in our home. The, the, one of the pastor's wives, um, one of the pastor's wives set up a, like a meal train before meal train was a deal back in the, back in the nineties, early nineties. And what this church would do is they would walk up our drive, go around to the back of the house, come in the back door. And as you came in the back door of my house, there was the washer and dryer in the back of the garage. That's just how it was. And then off the garage was our kitchen. And not to disturb us because we had family in, my dad was dying. Um, and uh, they would bring us meals and they literally would set it on the washing machine every night. And the washing machine made dinner for about two months. And um, I, we, we had so many leftovers. I mean, I can't, I, some meals, I don't even remember, you know, I don't, but it was taken care of. There was always food in the house. We didn't have to do that. There was a man in our church. He's since gone on to be with Jesus. He was a barber. He came over and gave my dad his last haircut. Now, you may not know that walking in, but you can find out those stories if you talk to the people you're interviewing with, because usually you have multiple interviews, not just the the team that's interviewing you, but you might meet with, uh, if you're a student guy, you're going to meet with a student team, you know, and how is this church taking care of your family in a hard time? I remember that being a little boy. Um, and then how the church has continued to take care of me of, again, giving me the time off I need with my, my kids. Um, I remember it's people have put random amounts of cash in their hand and shook my hands on Sundays and said, here's gas money. I never once advertised that I needed gas money to get over to Children's Hospital. I didn't do that. Or um, we made a trip uh, to Mayo Clinic um, and uh, for for my wife's health, you know, and people were right and left just shaking my hands, you know, sliding me. I mean, $20 bills, $100 bills. What? You know, and I I looked at her and I said, what is going on? (laughs) I don't, I don't understand. Literally one happened as I was walking out the door of the church to get in the car. We left from church to go on that trip and Hey, I'm praying for you. And it's like, Oh, God took care of us. So those, those stories show the grace, the, the kindness and the grace filledness of the church. And it's not because of monetary gifts, right? But it's, Hey, so-and-so, I tell you another one that happened to me. I had a gout attack on my knee a couple of years ago. And I had a friend in the church. He brought me a Rally's cheeseburger <laughs> and, and sat at the end of my bed. You know why I am, I am doubled over in pain thinking my kneecap is going to shoot out of my knee and just sat there and let me just barf about life. But he encouraged my heart and my spirit. You know, those are things that, when you, you see those evidences of grace along the way, you know, and I know some of the people are stories of a people in our church. That is not just true of my family. I'm just giving you some examples yeah. that happened for me, yeah. but they've happened in other people's lives. I know a lady, she said, I remember when the church came and they put a roof on my house. <laughs> I couldn't pay for it. 
I was I was a, a divorced lady and single mom and had and all of a sudden the church showed up one day and here they are start tearing off my roof. Um, you know things like that that there is a generosity and a grace filled way of living life with people. Um, so look for those things. Um, what are the things that you, and I'm going to turn tables on you, Tim. Okay. What are some things, I mean, because you're in the same situation I'm in, right? I don't want to sit just as the, the authority, right? I'm one experience, but if you were going, what would be some places or things that you would, um, be looking for? Um, are they, is the language and verbiage they're using task systems driven or is it people um like people interaction driven so like so they may give you the system this is how our church works but then usually there's a follow-up if there's more of an attitude of grace there's a follow-up with like we know people are going to get sick we know weird situations are going to happen we just have to have some sort of thing to tie everything to but we understand these things are happening. So like one of those could even be something very simple. It could even be like, Hey, office hours are nine to five, you know? And it's like, Hey, like you've already told us you're more of a morning person. If you come in at seven, we know like, we're fine. If you get out of here at three, like we like, so th right there, they're telling you that we have a system. We have a, a thing that we use here. We understand that this is going to, or if, or if you like on a youth pastor level, since we've both been youth pastors, it might be like, we know that you're spending extra time during the week at night. And so like Thursday, we understand you're not going to come in in the morning on Thursday. Like you're going to probably come in after lunch on Thursday, just because we want you to have some rest. Those are and some of those a, things. And I would say, and if you're a youth pastor and that's your situation, cherish it. Yes. <laughs> cherish it like know the gift that you've been given yes and use it use it yes yeah. turn your phone off don't get on the internet yeah rest yeah so some of those things um you know you can usually hear it it it's i think a good church will have systems built in but a great church will understand that people live within the church they don't live within a system um and so they yeah. the relationship's more important than the system yeah so i think that's one big thing another thing that i've seen is just um uh does the does the spouses of the staff members engage each other mm. and other people so like do they even want to be around each other because if they don't want to be around each other the church probably it's probably going to filter to the church a little bit yeah um and so pay attention to like hey how often do so there may be a lot of women that are spouses there might be a lot of men that are spouses it just depends on the makeup of the staff and what positions and where you're at and all that stuff so but in that like do they hang out do they like being around each other do they intentionally do things to be around each other uh so like for for our church staff we have i think it's quarterly it's like four times a year. We intentionally say we're all going to be around each other. One of those four is invite your families. Um, and then I think we did, I actually think we added in another one. Uh, we're, this is new, so I'm trying to think through it. I think one is invite all your families, and one is like we want your spouse there. Like it's just for for your spouse and, and us. Uh, so it lets us intermingle because uh, we don't, 
on our we have about 20 20 people roughly and so we don't all see each other all the time uh, so it gives us time to just mingle build relationships get to know each other and that naturally builds grace if you actually care about each other right yeah, yeah having those opportunities where they're um even if it's a christmas party right a christmas party is great a yep. barbecue is great yep. um our uh, one of our pastors texted us just last weekend and said hey um impromptu can you guys come over and we're gonna just hang out around the the campfire and you know the backyard whatever you call that you know yep. and uh just roast some marshmallows and have some s'mores and um want to come over and have s'mores sure yep. let's do that you know so um and when you ask that question in the interview process and they can quickly be like yeah we were just over at bob's house last night like it you're going okay they're around each other but if they're yeah. like ah we don't really do that like if it's more of those type of things it's like okay <laughs> they're not they're not even interacting with each other well and and one of the things i think that has been beneficial to me over time in, in ministry is that i've gone through different stages right now i'm looking for friendship yeah. And my and my pastoral staff relationships doesn't mean that I don't still have a mentors in my life, people that are challenging me, but I'm looking for friendships mm-hmm. um, because ministry can be very, very lonely. And that's one of the things that has been awesome about our friendship is the fact that when it is really lonely, pick up the phone. I, I said this, so I haven't told you this before, I don't think, but um, as I've started walking into different ministry rooms now, going through COVID and kind of coming out of it, a lot of the older pastors resigned or not resigned, retired. (laughs) Some of them may have resigned, but I think most of them just (laughs) retired. Um, But they were just like, okay, I got us through that. I I'm done. And a lot of young guys did, or young people did walk away because they're just like, this is not what I signed up for. And I'm finding more and more that I'm becoming the senior adult, even though I'm not a senior adult, uh, like, have you, have you been experiencing that? Yeah. Well, a part of that becomes with our age, right? I get that. We're both in our forties. <laughs> I get that. When you hit your forties, it's like, Oh, how did I become the expert in my field when I don't feel like I'm an expert? I still feel like I'm, you know, 20 and still brand new. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think the other thing that is also is the longevity that we've had in ministry. Yeah. that that puts us there and that's not a prideful statement it's no. the fact that it doesn't necessarily matter how long it's been at one place it is the fact that you're faithful to get get out of bed in the morning go in and take care of god's church and that's not all administrative right my my lead pastor says all the time ministry is people yeah. and oh my gosh that phrase is like, I should just get it tattooed on my shoulder. Like, <laughs> it it is seared into my mind because that be, has become our culture and um, ministry is people. And so, when it makes sense too, when we think about the uh, agricultural and farming references that we see within Scripture, right? And sheep and shepherd and well, shepherds probably smell like sheep. How do you smell like a sheep? Well, you were with them. Yeah. Well, ministries people, you, you know, you've got to be able to, to, if you want to know how to minister best to people, you have to be around them and you have to be involved in their life. That could be a phone call. That could be, um, you know, dinner with them. There's all kinds of things. It's not just a Sunday morning touch point of, hey, glad you're here and move on. You know, 
Um, and so, and, and, and in my particular area of ministry, it happens because I counsel our families. Um, that's counseling is one of my roles. Um, it also uh, happens too because you are, I do benevolence. And so my, my role as care is a really broad, it, it, it involves also membership care. So I oversee our deacons and elders that each have a list of members. And then I'm helping get needs of hospital things or just random things that pop up in that person's life back to those people so they can care for them. And, but you have to know what's going on and ask the right questions. Um, and one of the biggest questions that I've learned probably in the last two years is what is your greatest struggle and what's your biggest prayer request? Um, mm-hmm. And that was something that my lead pastor brought when, you know, as a part of a, a style of ministry of doing, you know, life with people. And you know what, when I asked that, even to my neighbors, it kind of floors them, but boy, does it give you ministry opportunities. Hmm. That's good. That's good. What, uh, I want to capture this. Um, so I'm going to shift a little bit, but I want to capture this. You, you've shared a lot of the obstacles and difficulties, even going back to your childhood. And yet you are still faithfully serving Jesus as a pastor. How did that happen? Because, Dad passing away at 12, uh, children with special needs. Uh, we've all had ministry difficulties. Like, that's just compounds it sometimes. And yet you just kept taking another step. How, do you have a how or a why? Or yeah, I have a how. It goes back to how, again, how God brought me to him. <laughs> and um, so part of my story is... Uh, growing up in a in a Christian home, I knew um, knew of God really early. Um, went through a lot of the steps and things, you know. Um, was even baptized. Uh, answered a lot of the questions, you know, about faith. But you know, Tim, I was you would know this reference too. But you remember Snoopy flying in the mm-hmm. his his airplane, the Red Baron. Mm-hmm. You know, he's flying the doghouse. That whole scene in the Peanuts cartoon. That was in my head. That was in my head when my mom was asking me, "Hey, do you want to go talk to the pastor about being saved?" Like I'd even prayed with my parents the night before. <laughs> I, I don't really know if at seven I was saved or it was years later, but I know at fourteen Jesus became very, very real to me, mm. and I recognized that I was far from Him. My attitude toward Him had become very callous. Um, I hated God uh, because. My dad, I was mad. I remember hitting a pillow when he died. Um, and you took my father from me. Um, I hate you. Um, but I also was a com- very compliant kid because I'm firstborn. Uh, I have great respect for my family. That was part of the way I was raised. And so my mom just kept taking me to church. Um, I could have told her no. I was big enough to say I'm not going. And she couldn't have moved me. Um, you know, I was probably six foot in like seventh grade. Um, So there's no way my little tiny mom's going to move me. Um, But I respected her enough to go. And and I was in seventh grade and um, a lady by the name of Lucy, she was my, my uh, small group leader at that time. And uh, Lucy gave me a card and on, and this card um, 
on the front of it was a pyramid of sheep and one, you know, they were all kind of stacked numerically, you know, and one at the top and whatever wide that base is. And right in the middle row was a, sh- a sheep that was missing. There was a hole there. And um, on the inside of the card, there was a hand putting that sheep back into the pyramid. And the card said, you're a perfect fit mm-hmm. to God's plan. And then she wrote Jeremiah 29, 11, just, just the address down in the bottom card and just said, Hey, I'm, I'm praying for you, Lucy, something, something of that nature. Well, it was the anniversary of my dad's passing one year. I had no clue. I didn't even know what Jeremiah 29, 11 said. <laughs> I was like, who's Jeremiah? What in the world? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I'm a seventh grade boy. You know, I barely know my books of the Bible. I might've known him by then, but. So I go home and I look up Jeremiah and I see here, oh, you know, you think about Jeremiah, all the terrible things that happened, right? And all the things that were gone through. And it says, I, f- I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Mm-hmm. Whoa, time out. God doesn't want to hurt me and harm me. He has a hope for my future. You mean my my dad's death actually is a good thing? Now I, that's a that's a weird phraseology of losing somebody, right? Yeah. But something that was terribly, ter- I mean, terrible. It was earth shattering, but it's made me the man I am today. And and so what I learned is that God doesn't want to harm me, but yet He wants to use this pain. And, and suffering to help. I remember reading um, Elizabeth Elliot's book, um, Suffering is Never for Nothing. It's um, an awesome book. Awesome, awesome book. But you may remember it, this the illustration her dad talked about. And how did Jesus feed the 5,000? You know, five loaves, two fishes. Is that the one you're referencing? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Five, five loaves, two fishes, right? Yeah. But she goes, no, it or did I say that backwards? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. I feel like I might have. Yeah. That's, that's okay. Two loaves and five fishes. We know what we're talking about. Yes. Seriously, we're... we've been pastors for a long time. Like, we <laughs> promise. We just didn't get. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> another key in ministry is laugh at yourself. It's okay. <laughs> you can't take yourself too seriously. Um, so, in, in the process of, of this, reading this book, I remember this illustration that saying this, but she goes, it wasn't really the, the fish and the bread. It was the brokenness of those pieces because how many baskets were left over? 12. I hope I got that right. (laughs) Yeah. And, 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 and so it was these, you know, all these broken pieces are gathered up in these baskets and they had more actually than what they started with. Now, this is Jesus performing a miracle, but she makes this profound statement. She says, by the brokenness of your life, God feeds the people around you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hold on. What? And that reframed the suffering of my life. Mm-hmm. And so, Tim, what I've learned along the way, getting back to your original question, how have I not given up on God? It's because I realized that he loves me, that he cares for me deeply, and that he wants the best for me. And just because bad things happen in my life doesn't mean that God's abandoned me or he's forsaken me. And yet, when I feel actually the closest to God, it's usually when I'm walking through one of those trials. 
And partially it's because I'm holding on for dear life because I don't know how to get to the other side. And, and so what I'm learning and continuing to learn is that talk about those things. In fact, it just happened to me just a couple months ago. Someone said, I don't know how I could do what you've done. Well, time out. What I've learned is that you can, if God calls you into that situation, then he will equip you for that. And if you actually are cultivating faithfulness to the Lord in your life, you will get to the other side. You're not going to know what it's going to look like, but you will get to the other side of that. It may look drastically different than you think. It may be painful. You may not be able to, you know, do things, certain things that you want to do. Hopes and dreams might have to die, but the Lord is with you in the process. And so for me, how do I stay? How do I keep continuing to ministry and move one day at a time? It's really one day at a time. Um, you know, I think about um, the Lord lighting our path, you know, yeah. he, he, and, you know, a lampstand, we don't you use a lantern now is about the equivalent we get in a lantern. gives so much more light. It really should say a candle, right? <laughs> yeah. If you hold a candle, take, no one walks down a path at night camping with one candle right? It doesn't give you enough light. You get a lantern, which is like holding 10 candles, right? But that's what a lampstand was. It was like one singular candle. That gives you one step at a time, one step at a time. And when you learn to walk one step at a time and you keep seeing that the Lord is is there, you trust the Lord, you begin to to not fret and worry and like coming back to fear, you you cast out fear because the Lord is is with me. Now, I know all that is true. There are times when my heart screams it's not. And so I got to go back to God's word. You have to be anchored there. So those that are going through a really difficult season in ministry right now, uh, what one or two sentences can you give them just to, to take, to get through today, to get through this week, to get through this next weekend, to get through this season? What, what could you give them? Um, I think about 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And uh, I'm actually going to turn there in my Bible just because okay. I don't want to butcher God's word here. So, I mean, we already did. So, well, <laughs> touche, my friend, touche. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, and I didn't have this one marked. So, hold on a second. There we go. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your own ability. But with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The temptation right now, if you are maybe in a rough spot, is to quit. That might be every Monday morning for you. That might be after every time you get an email that you're just like, oh, goodness. If you're like me and a a people pleaser... Oh, that's dangerous in ministry, but you have this conversation over and over. But remember, you're not the only person who's ever gone through this temptation or this season of life. There are other brothers. You may not know about them, but other people have gone through it. And remember, the very important part in the middle of that is God is faithful. So he will give you a way of escape, not necessarily pull the rip, rip cord and jump out 
and I'm out of this position. Sometimes you have to go through the pain to, mm-hmm. to get to the other side and you realize, wow, this has made me a stronger follower of Jesus, a stronger pastor, a stronger man. And, but recognizing that I'm not the only one who's going through the situation. Other people have, that gives me some comfort. It helps calm down some of those insecurities. Um, and then God is faithful and that he's going to provide a way. So in order for me to see the way, it means I need to hold on. I remember being in a mission trip, 17 years old, we were in Panama. Um, and so where, again, this is illustrated visually for, for me. So there's no lights, you know, it was like Gilligan's Island. Uh, we slept in hammocks and grass huts for 10 days and dug out canoes to get across. I mean, that's what this place was like um, with the Kuna Indians there um, on some islands just off the coast of Panama. And when we go, we go to a restaurant there in town and we'd leave and the kids from the town would guide us. And at night there's no flash. I mean, I had a flashlight, but it was like, why use it? These kids run through this town all the time. And so I just put my hand on the, uh, Charlie was his little boy's name, put on his shoulder and he'd take off in this back to the mission house and away we would go. And there was this one part where the roof would slope and he knew I would blast. I mean, it would cut me right in the face <laughs> if, if, and I, you'd always have to, when you walk down that street, you'd always have to duck and he would stop. And I put my hand up and I would feel it. I couldn't see it, but I could feel it. It was so dark and I duck and we get to the other side and I, I would know it, you know, just cause you can kind of feel your surroundings pop back up and away we would go. And that's how for 10 nights we walked through. I, I never used my flashlight at night. If Charlie was with me, he knew that town, but it illustrates when you're walking with the Lord, he knows where the, the roadblocks are. He knows where the hiccups are and he's going to see you through to the other side. And he's not going to take you over landmine to get your leg blown off. He's going to walk you around it. Right. Um, but we have to trust him. You know, he can actually navigate you through a minefield. Um, you know, if we're using analogies. So the trusting him in your moment, that's more than one sentence, but. It was a great story. That was a great illustration. Go back to first Corinthians 10, 13 today. If you are struggling, you can trust God. He is faithful. So what are one or two couple books that have just made an impact on you and your ministry? Yeah, so uh, that's, we always try to keep a top five, <laughs> but the two, probably one that was early on when I first started training for ministry was, uh, I got them with me actually. Yeah, show them off. Knowing God, J.I. Packer, mm-hmm. um, that really helped me unlock who is God? Yeah. You know, I remember when I started studying theology in my undergraduate, I was like, I was so mad. They didn't teach me this in church. What is this? And God just became bigger, you know, and, and, and just, uh, my mind was blown mm-hmm. at who God was mm-hmm. and God used J.I. Packer's uh, book uh, as well as some other, some other guys that I was reading theology for the first time and beginning to understand who God was and not just terms, but really who he was. Now, the reality is my church taught that. I just didn't catch it. Yeah. And when I was training, I was like, oh. 
but the second book, and this is this book here, uh, the Gospel Treason. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. The Gospel Treason. Um, I tell you, this is probably got to be, if not my favorite book, um, number two. You know, okay. um, this this book. In fact, one year I bought a case of these suckers. I contacted Brad and I said, "How can I?" He gave me his publisher, yeah. um, and I got a case of them. I don't know if I got a discounted a wholesale price. I, and I passed them out to all my leaders, um, small group leaders. Uh, and it was my Christmas gift to all my leaders. Now, this is a dangerous gift to give. <laughs> if you see the subtitle, it says, Betraying the Gospel with Hidden Idols. Yeah. What it does is it brings out hidden idols. Um, I, I read it in seminary. Um, and here's the other part, too. Don't be afraid to go back to seminary later in life. I had 13 years between my undergraduate and my seminary education, and it was so fruitful going back. And one of the other things is because I had life happening, and and I could take these real-life scenarios to jump in and, and test the theory against real life. But when I was here, I was reading this. I... Uh, uh, this was for one of my counseling cl- classes and I was reading this book and I would give you the backstory when I was reading it too, um, just a couple weeks before I thought, you know, I've been a little bit grouchy and things have been tight, you know, around the house. And I had the girls in the car and I said, if you want to ask a dangerous question of your kids, ask this, here's the question. What's one thing you'd change about daddy if you could. Oof. And I remember my kids went silent. I was like, oh, crap. This isn't good. And uh, I was waiting so, for the nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, this that's what this daddy wanted to hear. Yeah. You're the best. Um, and my youngest was she was really tiny at this time. And uh, my oldest was probably around seven or eight, somewhere, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, she goes, Daddy, you are angry a lot. Mm-hmm. I about wrecked the car, and we were at a stop sign. Like, I, I was like, well, how in the world? What? I ask. And out of the, their mouths came this, right? So I started saying, okay, God, I don't, I don't want to be this angry man. Um, I was insisting on my way in a lot of things that really didn't matter. Um, I was prone to anger. Um, just because that's where my hidden sin was, right? And um, so fast forward a couple more months, you know, still things haven't really changed. I'm reading this book, and there was a place where God just literally broke me. Mm-hmm. I was I was in Panera Bread over in Edwardsville, you know, right where that's at, mm-hmm. in a booth, and I'm weeping. And I'm I'm looking down at the ground and going, whose blood is that? That's Oh, that's my blood. Like, I mean, I feel like my heart has literally just been pierced. Mm -hmm. And what God convicted me of is what I wanted was I wanted my family to know that I work hard and that I provide for them. And I wanted respect. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I was willing to sin to get it. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember the Lord just breaking my heart and it was through this book and Brett, I mean, it's why, I, it's painful read, but it was a heart changing read. And what happened was I said, okay, God, I repent. 
I don't want to be this man. You will give me these desires if you do. If you don't, great. If my family never recognizes what I do, then okay. You recognize it. You see the work. You see what I'm doing. And by the way, that's what one of the things that leads to depression in ministry is when you don't get recognition. Yeah. And and But you have to remember God sees it, and you work for him. And I had lost sight of that. I had totally lost sight of it in the crucible of life that I was going through, the pressure of full-time ministry, full-time dadding, full-time seminary. And I've got about, you know, a couple hours of sleep a night. I'm just not in a healthy place. Um, walking through depression, the first time I've ever experienced severe depression, all of this compounding in life, and I'm reading this book. God breaks me. And I, and I pack up all my bags. I mean, my routine was I had like, six, seven hour day in, in Panera. And I packed it all up. I said, okay, I go home to my family and mm-hmm. I got to just tell them I love them. So I packed it all up. I lost study time, packed it up. I'm driving my, my wife's car that day. And I, and the way our house positioned, it was on a four way intersection into our subdivision and I'm coming in and I can see my house and my oldest is out washing the car. I'm like, Hey, all right, that's cool. She's washing the car. Until I looked a little closer, and she's washing it with a broom. <laughs> so then the little car that I'm in goes flying through the intersection. I mean, well, I braked first, and then took off. And I park right past the driveway. I get out of the car, and my foot hits the ground, and I'm ready to just light into her. I'm like, she's scratch, she's scratching the top coat and the Holy Spirit. I mean, two steps, you know, from your car door to the taillight. And I'm there at the taillight and the Holy Spirit goes, you got one shot. Mm. What? And it was like, you got one shot. Do you really, do you really, are you really going to do what you said you were going to do back in Edwardsville, which was a 20 minute drive? And and I don't remember the drive home. I just remember being really fuzzy because I was still crying. And and then anger when I saw my daughter just popped up. And so I said, I said, baby, what are you doing? And she just bright-eyed, chipper, my oldest ones. That's she's a bubbly personality. And she said, Well, Daddy, I got up this morning and I thought to myself, I I said, You work so hard for our family. Mm. And, and I just wanted to show you a way that I love you and, and that I and I appreciate you. And I said to myself, God, you're not funny. This isn't funny. You're playing this is not funny. You're really trying me. And 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 weep. I mean, I just started weeping. And I said, Oh, baby, thank you for recognizing. I said, Hey, let me go, let's go into the shed and I'm gonna show you what you need to do to wash a car. I said, Broom will hurt the car, but this sponge really We'll take care of the car. Oh, okay. She had no clue. Yeah. And I could have destroyed her. And now she's she's a child that gives and gives and gives and loves to serve people. But I actually practiced what God had taught me through that book. And it was this huge blessing. And it was this huge point of where God instantly said, hey, you repented. I've forgiven you. Now go and practice what you know to be true. And I actually did it. And you know what? He gave me the desire of my heart. Well, that sounds scriptural, doesn't it? Like, obey God and do it God's way. And wow, there's blessing in the end. 
And so for me, gospel treason, man, identify the hidden hearts or the hidden idols in your heart because they are there. And if we're, you know, not worshiping God or worshiping anything, you know, Chesterton said that. And it was like, oh, um, if we're not worshiping God, we worship anything. And I was worshiping myself as I'm trying to teach people how to worship the Lord. And it was a painful time, but it grew me as a leader, as a father, and as a pastor. Dude, you have been really gracious with your time and incredibly vulnerable. Um, if if you're watching, listening to this, this is why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the really, I feel like we just uh, we just had a normal conversation that everybody's yeah. everybody's going to see a normal conversation that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, which is cool. They happen and friendships, the things with about friendships that are so awesome is that when you have a friend, he, he should sharpen you. He should encourage you. And you know what also listens and is not afraid to say the hard things that you need to hear to grow. And you've done that for me, Tim, and I appreciate it. Um, and it is, it really is an honor to call you one of my, my best friend, you know, yeah. and that we get to walk life together and we may not talk for a couple of weeks, but we pick the phone up and it's, we're here we go again. You know, it was yeah. when you yeah. moved, you know, and, and you're at where you're at now. I was, I was so excited for you. You know, but it, it put a hiccup in our relationship as far as we couldn't physically see each other. Yep. But but what's great is our friendship hasn't changed. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I agree. We had to figure out how to do the long distance thing, but we figured it out. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for your time, man. Uh you're gonna there's gonna be a lot of people encouraged off of the things that you shared today. So I appreciate you sharing your heart. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man. No problem, dude. Talk to you later. See ya. I, if you weren't watching on YouTube and you were listening on a podcast, I don't know if you could hear <laughs> the tears he was shedding, uh, but you could definitely see him if you were on YouTube. <clears throat> Ministry can be tough. Life can be tough. Like God doesn't promise us that, that nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. He just says, I'm going to be there with you through everything that happens. And man, if, if you didn't hear comfort and care of God in Tim's life, like, uh, man, I have massive respect for that guy uh, just to see how God has worked in him. Like you heard me ask the question, right? Like where I'm like, how did you make it through all that following Jesus and staying in ministry? Because it's a crazy amount of stuff. And, and really... Like you saw his heart because he's just like, I don't know. That's a good question. I Basically, I just kept going. Um, God is just faithful. Uh, keep taking those steps. Keep moving forward. It is so important uh, to just get to that finish line that God's put in front of you. He is faithful. If he called you to it, he'll do it for you. Just be faithful to keep taking the steps and running that race with some endurance and perseverance. Um, care about you guys. I know some of you have been impacted by the last several episodes. Thank you for all the feedback. I appreciate it. Uh, if you would, like and subscribe, share it. Uh, get the word out there because all of it does help other people get to the finish line God's put in front of them. Uh, and 
I'll see you next time. Appreciate all of you so much. See you then.